Hello and welcome to the podcast, Are We Nearly There Yet? My name's Professor Andrew Sherry and I'm interested in people's journeys to discover who they are and what they're made to do. We can all learn something from other people's stories, so join me on another adventure. I think have that inner belief, you can do it. Um, And I think there's a certain aspect of the path will take you as well. Today I'm talking to Georgia Pawson, who is a consultant at Corporate Risk Associates and the acting chair of the Next Generation Nuclear Industry Council. Georgia lives in Fulham, near where she grew up in London. Welcome, Georgia. Thank you for joining me. Thank you for having me. Georgia, you grew up in London, um, but you went to boarding school, Wickham Abbey, which did look lovely, I must admit. Tell, Tell me what you were like as a girl there. So, as you said, I went to Wickham. It's about 40 minutes outside London. I followed my older sister there. I was happy to begin with. Um, I then started to struggle. I'm dyslexic. I was diagnosed um, at primary school. Um, And the support wasn't really there. So academically on the English side, I definitely struggled. But my maths and science was was strong. And the sports opportunities were amazing. Um, However, there was actually... Um, an instance in my GCSE year, which led me to actually move to the sixth form. Um, and I found the, the academic pressure just got too much, I would say. Um, I got a C in my English GCSE and that's no one, there's nothing wrong with getting a C, but everybody in the school got A's and A stars. And it was announced to the whole year group that one girl in the year had got a C. And I felt like it was a witch hunt. And to this day, I haven't actually told anybody that I got that C and I hid it. And I shouldn't have been ashamed of that. I did retake the exam and got an A, but I just, it wasn't right for me. I became quite unhappy and living in the kind of shadow of my sister as well, um, decided to move for, for sixth form, which was definitely the right decision. Well, that's really good, isn't it? My, my daughter's very, very dyslexic. And there's a lovely book we read, you know, when we were, we were realizing that she was really struggling to learn to read and things and we suspected it and it wasn't until, it was in primary school, it was identified, but the book was called In the Mind's Eye. And what it was saying, it was that, and you'll know this, there are a lot of people who are dyslexic, like famous scientists and others, you know, um, and you, your brain just works differently. And it's actually a gift because you bring a different perspective to a problem. Uh, you think probably more in pictures than in words and you see things differently. And, and I know I, I've always suspected I was dyslexic because people say to me, one of the things they value is you see things differently. You look at things from a different perspective and it's part of diversity, I think. so. Well done for, for, for doing what you're doing. And um, it sounds like that change then after your GCSEs into your A-levels was a positive move. Yeah, definitely. I think I was lucky that Wickham has given me a very strong work ethic and that's something that I carry through with me now. But it was definitely the right decision to move um, to a less um, academic school and more support on the dyslexia as well. So, yeah, a lot more. That's really good, isn't it? 
that's really good so you you went on and you you followed the maths and the science in chemistry and you did geography as well what was the reason for that choice so it's really about where my passions were and what I enjoyed um I actually originally quite struggled with some of the topics and I think it depends on the teacher you know you can have one teacher that really inspires you and you love it so physics I loved at Wickham had a great teacher really enthusiastic and unfortunately when I moved um, for my A-levels my teacher wasn't as inspiring and I actually only did one year of physics I only did my A2 whereas I had an amazing chemistry teacher geography teacher and maths teacher and I think you kind of excel where you enjoy um, and I think it's important to do things that you enjoy and you will find your direction through that instead of forcing yourself into um, something that you aren't. Yeah, I think that's right, isn't it? And it's a sort of journey. That's what this sort of podcast is all about a little bit. It's the journey you go through because it's a journey of discovery, isn't it? You don't know what you like and what you enjoy and what you're good at to begin with, but by trying things, you slowly learn. I think that's very true. I think... Um, you have to push yourself as well and test but I also think if you work out what you don't like and don't enjoy that also helps you work out what you do like so yeah twofold it's, it is absolutely so the geography must have really inspired you because you followed on into geology at Bristol how did you find that transition into university so as you mentioned I've been at boarding school so from that aspect living away from home um, was used to it I think it's definitely a step up. You know, you have a lot more um, self-learning, living in a small group of other, um, I suppose I was an adult at that stage, not that I probably felt like an adult. Um, and a lot more individual responsibility. But in terms of, I think my school set me up well. I had a gap year in between. So I had a bit of place to kind of explore and do different things before going back into academics. But I really wanted to go do geology it was I was very passionate about it I had done my research and actually my geography teacher for a level had done geology at university so I think that was um potentially a, a driver as well because I had that kind of someone firsthand who I could talk to and see how it could be something inspiring and, and interesting to study yes that's right and I, and I guess you know having had that experience at, at, at school as you say boarding school and so on and then you had the gap what did you do in your gap year so I used to be a windsurfing and sailing instructor I did it from the age of 15 so I went to go do that um, I lived in Australia for a little bit um, it was all self-funded I did kind of working in um, lord's boxes at the cricket to kind of ask it to waiting it um, events running up till Christmas but it was the sailing and windsurfing that I really enjoyed teaching um, in Spain and in Australia and in the UK so different things but it definitely gave me more kind of confidence in myself and it's satisfactory to earn that money and then you can go spend it on enjoying yourself on holiday as well so yeah <laughs> <laughs> that's right I'm still waiting for my gap year actually but I think it's fantastic to have had one and so, yeah, so when you arrived at university, you know, you must have had more self-confidence um, in, in your ability and, your, you know, um, through that year and through, through school and so on. And the transition, it sounds like you were able to make that transition quite well. How do you think you changed during your time in Bristol? Did you learn other things about yourself and what you enjoyed or what you were good at, do you think? I think definitely um, 
as I went through. I think first year was a bit of a, a blur because it's just so much going on. There's so many activities and clubs you can join and you're studying as well. And geology is a lot of hours, contact hours. So you're in a lot, but it's a very small group and you've got field trips. So your holidays shrink with field trips, but you get to know everybody really well. But I think it was really the end of my second year where I was um, diagnosed with chronic fatigue. And I actually was forced to take a year out of university. And I think this is where I learned the most about myself because you, I don't remember much of the first six months. I was pretty much in bed, my mother looking after me, moving back home. But I think when I then went back to then do what, do what was my third year, but with technically the year below me, learning how that you have to make friends quite quickly. You know, you've got lab partners, you've got to buddy up on field trips and knowing that it's okay to fail. You can't, you can come out the other side. And actually, I think I'm stronger for that experience. I mean, I don't want anyone to go through what I went through. And also it's, things happen, I think, for a reason. If I hadn't been ill, I wouldn't be in the career I'm in now because there was a module that was added to the syllabus called environmental radioactivity that was new when I came back. And that's what really sparked my interest in the nuclear industry. So it's funny how things take a turn and I don't think, yeah, I would be here if I hadn't been ill, if that makes sense. So um, after Birmingham, you moved to, sorry, Bristol, you moved to Birmingham uh, and you did the nuclear decommissioning waste management masters degree there um, so clearly that that additional course when you were back at Bristol had inspired you about the nuclear industry yeah so my master was a bit of a panic decision I would say um, it was Easter just before my finals and a lot of my peers had jobs already or knew what they were going to do and I was a bit in limbo land um, my one of my professors he's actually now a professor at the time um, and still does do a lot of research in this area. And I was talking to him and it, you know, it kind of joined a lot of the dots together that I was probably thinking about, but hadn't connected myself. And I thought, you know what, if I want to take this further, let's go do a master's. So I applied, got a place, <laughs> which I was relieved about. And I'm sure my parents are probably relieved too that I had something to do once I graduated. And off I went to Birmingham to do a master's, which is very different to an undergrad. <laughs> It's an amazing transition, is it? Tell, tell me what you the difficulties that you found in that in that difference. So I suppose there's two aspects. It's the academic side and the more what I call the pastoral side. Don't know Birmingham. I'd been to see the department, didn't know anyone at the university. I don't think I even knew anyone who'd been to the university. So you've got to find somewhere to live. That's one aspect. You've got to orientate yourself. It's a campus university, very different to Bristol, which is in the city. Um, and then you've got to make friends as well. And there was only six people in the master's degree. So I wanted to make friends outside my degree as well. And then I say the learning is different. It's a lot um, self-learning. You know, you've got to do it. And I think it's also, because it was a specific master's, I saw it more as the first stage in my career, if that makes sense. Um, I loved it. It was great. Um, the, everything from the physics side to chemistry and then obviously it says in the tin nuclear decommissioning and waste management so it was a great experience tough at times but I think it's a different type of pressure to undergraduate and part of that is the pressure I put on myself I think because I did treat it as the first step of my career but um yeah it's great and how did you find writing a dissertation that 
I think um, is, is tricky. Doing a science degree is all the way through, you don't really write a lot of words altogether. Um, and I was lucky my master's degree was sponsored. So um, that, that was gave me a good opportunity to go work in some labs in North Wales for a very small company. So I got support there in terms of how to run my experiments, but actually the write-up and you've got a word count, that's quite daunting. But I think the main thing is to set out the structure and take it step by step. You're not just going to sit down and write it all in, in one night. It's just writing a bit every day and building that up to create a picture. Um, and before you know it, it's all kind of there on a page and you're editing it. But it was definitely, to begin with, quite a daunting task. This is, you know, the last step. You've done your kind of last exams and now you have to cross the line with this, what seemed like a big document, but actually in hindsight, it wasn't that big. <laughs> <laughs> but it's the first time you've done something like that. And also I was thinking with, the, with your dyslexia as well, it's another challenge to face into, but you clearly did it successfully. I think it's, you know, using, uh, well, leaning on people in one's family as well, or friends to help you know, read what you've written as well and take that on. Um, you know, they're trying to help you. It's a bit like in verifying um, documents at work when someone verifies it. Their job is to make the document better and to aid you, not to knock you down. So it's, you've got to see it and they're trying to help you. They're not trying to hinder you. Yes, that's right. Yes, all feedback is a gift, as somebody once said. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Good. So you, you finished that and then you, you went to work for Arriva Risk Management Consulting as a safety consultant. So tell us what, what you were doing there and how, how did it feel when you went in? Now, now you're in paid employment. You might have treated your master's like a first job, but now you've been really paid to do it. How did it feel? I loved it. I thought um, the team was great. There were two of us that started on the same day based in Abingdon. So again, moving to a location where I knew nobody, having to find somewhere to live but it was quite a small team in the office, all open plan um, and really friendly environment. And the work I was doing was on the waste and decommissioning side. So very tangible to the master that I had done um, and just try to get involved where I could and, and lend support where I could. And um, it was really good. Yes, yes. And how do you think you sort of developed over the two years you were there? I think I became more confident in my ability um, I can be quite harsh on myself. I'm quite critical like, internally. Um, and also in my kind of organization and communication, you know, I got involved in BD aspects. I headed up the Young Generation Network for the company. So writing business plans to get the MD to part with money so I could get people to go to events. Um, so I think just, you know, I'm someone that can't really do their nine to five. I like to, you know, do their job description. I like to do help where I can and do extra things so writing bids as well so I suppose that was my first site moving a little bit sideways as well into the more business space as well as doing the safety work as well yes because it's uh, that, that's a whole new other area isn't it where you're starting to connect with customers and meet other people outside your organization yeah it's that more front-facing interacting with clients and having the responsibility to have those conversations with clients as well just you and them instead of having someone more senior doing and you learning by listening it is it's learning that's really I love that phrase learning by listening because that's what the interactions with customers is sort of all about you know it's understanding their perspective and the issues that they're facing into isn't it yeah definitely 
That's good. So then you um, you moved to Corporate Risk Associates. So tell me what prompted the the change? Yeah, so I had been seconded to Scotland, to Thurso by Arriva. It was something I wanted to do, get a different exposure for a different site license. But when I got there, the work actually fell through. Um, so it was a very small office. There were, I think, four or five of us. And suddenly there was little little work to, to go around and I stayed for four months up there amazing exploring that was really cool luckily in the summer on the north coast of Scotland not the winter but I mean beautiful beaches and I came back um, south in October and my thought process was I have experience in the waste and decommissioning space I have no experience in operating reactors so I had never touched anything EDF in, in short but I had got experience of nearly everybody um, on the other side. And I thought this was an area I was lacking, um, but if I want to get that experience, I need to move because the company at the time didn't do any work. Um, it can be quite a close shop depending on what side I think you work in nuclear, um, what company you work in and where you can access, if, if that makes sense, or it's harder. So I started to look where I could go to. I didn't actually ever think my job would bring me back to London having um, left at age 11. So I found Corporate Risk Associates, sounded good. They had their main client and still is, is EDF. Um, the people I met seemed great. And here I am three years later. Yes, yes. And it's, I was reading some of the, the work that you've been doing over the last few years there. And it seems that, you know, on the reactor side, you've been working on nuclear safety cases for operating reactors, periodic reviews of safety. But you're also starting to work and have experience in the sort of beginnings of the decommissioning of the AGR fleet, fleet in terms of defueling. Yeah. Planning there. So I couldn't really escape my background in from Ariva. Um, I am embedded at EDF in the defueling team and have been for over two years now. And I think it's a super interesting time in the UK in the industry because we're going from having this fleet of AGR reactors to them all slowly coming offline starting next year. And we need to prep for that. And there's a lot of change around that and the organizational behavior aspect of it um, being kind of at the forefront of actually um, putting that change in place while you have everybody else on your on your area is working to try and keep the reactors on, for example, graphite and things like that. It's, it's quite weird. You feel a little bit like an island to begin with because everyone is so focused on we must keep these reactors operating, whereas you're doing kind of the opposite. You're like, let's get them off. Let's get the fuel out. But amazing experience and working in bed, I think you can learn um, a lot quicker and a lot more because you're in the heart of it in the hub so I would encourage anybody if they got a role to go embedded take it I really enjoyed it and I think it's been a great experience maybe not the train trips at six something in the morning every week but once I'm there I love it amazing team and a really good example of cross companies working together for a common cause. So during this time what do you think you'd say what strengths have you learned about yourself and what weaknesses have you learned about yourself, do you think? So I think in terms of strengths, um, I'm very organised, very driven, which goes back to my school days. Um, very much a, a people person. You know, I like to get stakeholders together and at times have to 
bang their heads together, not physically, but at times it feels like that when you're working with um, teams. I think in terms of my weaknesses, there are always areas that you want to improve on. And I think some weaknesses take a lot of energy and actually it's, it's not that you don't focus on those, but if you look at your strengths overall, there are some areas where actually you choose not to go to those spaces because it takes so much energy that actually it's not the best use. You, know, you only have so much energy in a day. And if you keep eating away at it, by the end of the day, you're gonna be a mess. So I think I can be very critical of myself, um, which I'm working on. <laughs> but I think it's, it's also about celebrating the small wins. I think we always think big picture, you know, have we achieved this project, you know, budget, cost, quality. But I think, do we sit back every day and go, gosh, this is really cool. I'm contributing to, um, you know, low carbon energy in the UK. Okay, it's not just me, but I'm a part of that. Or even, you know, I chaired that meeting really well, or I inputted into that meeting. I think we just, I personally find that I'm often very harsh on myself and always think I can do more and do better, which is true but it's important to sit back and, and see what you have achieved as well, daily, weekly, and, and big picture as well. Absolutely. And it's good to celebrate those moments where something's gone really well, you know, and remember them, you know, write it down or something. So you're now the, um, the acting chair of the Next Generation Nuclear Industry Council. So tell us about that. Yeah, so it's a group that was set up um, by Alice Gardner just before she went on maternity leave at the end of the summer. And it's a bit like a shadow board to the Nuclear Industry Council. So we support the council, but we also can run our own agenda. And actually yesterday was the first time we presented to the council. So I'm like a proud mother hen at the moment because the team did amazingly and the feedback was just great. So there's four areas that we're working on and these came out of the team's passions and through what I say, like a design thinking exercise, so a bit like online post-it notes everywhere because the group only knows each other virtually because of the pandemic, which is makes it a little bit different, I would say, to everyone knowing each other face-to-face. -face. So we're working in um, the branding space, stakeholders, workforce, and STEM and outreach. Those are our four working groups. And there are some amazing plans and on our LinkedIn. You can see some of those coming to light and across across the coming years as well. So I think it's a really good um, cross-section of individuals, very passionate and yeah, excited to see what the group's gonna bring and how they can enact change. Because as cringy as it sounds, we are the future leaders, we are the next generation and the attention needs to turn to how we want the industry to be like, what we want to do and how we can help enact that now. Um, and be a part of that so yeah I think it's it's exciting it's an amazing opportunity to be part of it um, and just I love coming off the calls and the meetings because the energy is just amazing and the buzz and that feel you get when you leave that call is something really powerful oh it's it's really special and, and the nice thing is it's um, you are the future leaders, but you're having an impact now because you fed into that meeting where decisions are made and you're changing people's minds and influencing for the good of the industry. I think it's fantastic. So really grateful for what you're doing and all of the others on that, uh, the next generation NIC. So how do you sort of see your future, do you think? Oh, what a question. <laughs> so I think the path can always change and it will bend and you have to react and you can only control what you can control that's in your power. Um, 
I'm coming to the end of doing an MBA. I've got nine months left and I really want to use that kind of in the next steps, building on that business experience that I've got um, from at Arriva and now at Corporate Risk Associates. That's something that I feel um, matches my strengths um, and kind of the workings of my brain, I suppose, it, it ties up. So I did an MBA just to try and get a, a greater foundation of, of business. You know, it's everything from accounting and finance, which is not something I do in my day job to um, organizational behavior, management, leadership, etc. And it's want to use that foundation to take the next step and pivot off it and see, see where I can go. Um, I think the world is your oyster, so to speak. You just got to make the most of opportunities and, and steps. I think it's an exciting time in nuclear um, and hopefully I can continue to be a part of that and, and see how I can play in the space. Yeah, absolutely. And it's great having those nine months because as you work through those nine months, you'll be reflecting a little bit on your part in all of these areas you're looking at. And I'm sure that'll give you ideas and opportunities come up. You know, and you'll if you're ready for them, if you you know spot them, it's it, it's uh, it's about how you respond to those as well. So I'm just thinking back to you, um, probably when you just after you moved school, uh, about to start your um, your three A levels. Um, what would be your advice to your younger self at that point in her life? Do you think? So I say, don't be afraid to ask for help. Um, I think. Even now I'm conscious of using people, if that makes sense, you know, asking someone for advice, what do you think of this? What's your opinion? Can you look at my LinkedIn post before I put it live? And people are more than willing to help, but I feel like I am using them, if, if that makes sense, in a, in a negative way, instead of seeing it their opportunity to input and aid. So I think don't be afraid to ask, but also I think believe in yourself, have that I say this, I'm not that good at believing in myself all the time, but I think have that inner belief. You can do it. Um, and I think there's a certain aspect of the path will take you as well. So have faith in what you're doing and just put one step in front of the other. It's not about leaps. It's about one step and another. Mm, and seeing where the journey takes you. Yeah, exactly. Fantastic. Look, thanks so much for your time uh, this morning, George. It's been lovely to chat. Thank you very much. If you've enjoyed this podcast, to help others enjoy it too, please subscribe on your podcast platform of choice. And don't forget to rate and review. Thank you.